Good morning. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. We begin today with a look at extreme weather. Record-breaking heat in Arizona, hurricanes along the Gulf Coast. And even though California faces a fire season every year, many residents say this year's wildfires feel different. So much of the West Coast is burning. And many people are wondering whether life in California is sustainable. If maybe, it's time to move. Journalist Abram Luskarden lives in California, and he's also been thinking about whether it's time to get out. He was the reporter behind a piece by ProPublica in the New York Times magazine that was published in July. And it looked at how climate change may cause global migration. Well, he's out with another piece, also with the same news outlets. But this time, it's about climate migration within the United States. Luskarten interviewed more than 45 experts on the economy, demography, climate, insurance, architecture, and urban planning. And he says soon it's going to get hotter everywhere. States like Vermont and Minnesota will become more temperate, while the American South is going to become dangerously hot and dry. In the summer, extreme humidity will grip states from Louisiana to Wisconsin. Fresh water will become scarce in places like Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, not just in the West. And Lustgarden reports megafires like you're seeing in California will affect at least 28 million people in Texas, Florida, and Georgia. Crop yields will decline drastically in states like Texas and Alabama. Oklahoma and Nebraska are going to be hard hit, too. Overall, almost half the U.S. population is likely to experience some type of environmental decline. Now, if current trends continue, in just 50 years, at least 4 million people in the U.S. will live in conditions that are not ideal for human survival. These conditions are going to force a lot of people to move. I'm talking about a mass migration. Luskarten points to research by Matthew Hauer at Florida State University. He projects rising sea levels alone will force around 13 million people in the U.S. to move. That number doesn't even include other natural disasters like drought and wildfires. And if you don't have the means to move, you'll be left behind. Let's stay on the theme of climate change. Think about all the plastic you use, from water bottles to shopping bags. And even though a lot of us may think we're doing our part by recycling, eh, think again. Yeah, it turns out it's much more likely for your plastic waste to end up buried, tossed in a landfill, or dumped in the ocean, even if you sorted it into a blue bin first. According to a new investigation by NPR and PBS Frontline, only about 10% of the world's plastic has ever been recycled. That's because it doesn't end with your blue bin. There are a lot of factors that complicate the recycling chain. And the problem isn't the technology. Recycling plastic is possible, but it's a question of economics. First, there's the issue of sorting. There are hundreds of different types of plastic that can't be recycled altogether. Somebody's got to separate them. So that's a huge amount of labor. Mm -hmm. Then it has to be clean, melted, and... Well, plastics degrade, so it's never going to be as good as new pieces of plastic. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, it's cheaper to make new plastic than to recycle old plastic. And get this, this investigation shows the makers of plastic, the leaders of the nation's largest oil and gas companies, they've known about this since the 1970s. 
While they were selling the American public on the benefits of recycling, they knew it wasn't actually a viable solution. The oil industry makes $40 billion a year from plastic. And with shifting demand for fossil fuels, big oil is betting plastic is its future. Chevron built a new $6 billion plastics factory in Texas. The company tells NPR it plans to recycle 100% of its products. And the industry is reassuring us with, you guessed it, a new ad campaign funded by oil and gas interest groups. And we have the tools. We have the people that can change the world. The world we know is full of pioneers that find new cures. But as the NPR-PBS investigation finds, the economics still don't add up. The reporting keeps pointing to the one true solution here. We need to make and use less plastic, period. We can't rely on recycling to solve our plastics problem. And as long as big oil is still pushing the just recycle message, it's going to be hard to convince most of the public that this is really dire. When you think of international espionage, Hollywood blockbusters and spy thrillers immediately come to mind, right? Well, it doesn't always work out that way. In this week's New Yorker magazine, Laura Secor writes about what U.S. intelligence agencies did to a man they wanted to recruit as a spy, a man who said no. This story focuses on an Iranian man, a material scientist named Sirusa Askari. While he was in the U.S. working for a material science lab, he was having trouble getting a work visa. And Askari was told, the U.S. government is concerned about your activities in the U.S. Soon after, he noticed a business card stuck in the jam of his apartment door. It was from an FBI agent who wanted Askari to become an informant against Iran. He refused and returned home to Iran. This reporter spoke to a half dozen other people, all Iranian nationals or Iranian Americans, who say something similar happened to them. Federal agents tried to recruit them. The common threat for all these people was that they had some kind of vulnerability, whether it was in their immigration paperwork or some kind of petty sanctions violation. Fazgari, he thought the whole thing was behind him after he said no thanks to the FBI and returned to Iran. But when the FBI reportedly lured him back to the U.S. with a fake visa in 2017, the confrontation at the airport kicked off a years-long legal battle. And although he was ultimately acquitted of all charges, he spent seven months in ICE detention before he was deported to Iran. He contracted COVID-19, by the way, during that time. You know, there's just something to be said for reading this story yourself. So many twists, turns, and revelations, not to mention... It highlights the lengths the FBI will go to to recruit spies or punish those who refuse to become informants. After a hundred years, a postcard with a faded one-cent George Washington stamp, which was postmarked October 29, 1920, is finally getting delivered. The Washington Post has this story. Just last week, this century-old postcard landed in Brittany Keach's mailbox in Belding, Michigan. The message was addressed to someone named Roy McQueen, and the letter writer asks whether Roy got his pants fixed. <laughs> Very timely question. <laughs> Keach and some folks she found on Facebook ended up tracking down living relatives today and are in the process of getting the postcard delivered to the right person. 
But how, after 100 years, did the postcard end up in Keech's mailbox? Well, the Washington Post spoke with an employee at the Postal Service in Michigan who said every week there are at least a few pieces of mail that don't get delivered, usually because the handwriting is too difficult to read or something like that. And a lot of times this mail ends up in what's called the dead letter office. From there, postal workers will do their best to see that eventually, at some point, that mail gets delivered. So 100 years later, Roy McQueen's family will get his long-due postcard. And as the Washington Post notes, though, one mystery still remained. Did Roy ever get his pants fixed? Did he? You can find all those stories and more in the Apple News app. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow. 